to episode 231 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. It is your Tuesday edition coming at you just a little bit late. Uh, I am Paul Spore, joined by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, good day. How was your flight? Uh, <laughs> uh, back from Disneyland, um, one kid got bronchitis. The, the, the six-month-old got bronchitis. And, oh, no. Uh, kept us up in the middle of the night with a 93 mile an hour fever. Uh, fever. Uh, that's how it felt at 3 a.m. But um, uh, and then you know the other one when he doesn't get his naps uh, can 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 throw a wrinkle in in, in plans. But uh, they had some the three year old had some fun at Disneyland and uh, I drank some great beers in San Diego and uh, got some great interviews in um, while I was down there work I did a little bit of work too. So um, it's been fun and like uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad to be home though. Very glad to be home. It's always good to come home from vacation. Even if you had a great vacation, it's always good to come home. Um, some of these guys are going to be sitting at home for a while. That's a sweet segue into some injury talk here. Uh, and we're going to start with a guy we've talked about here and there uh, based on his first injury. But now it looks like he's got another one, and that's Jason Worth headed to the disabled list with a wrist injury. Uh, we were so focused on the shoulder. It's now a wrist that's putting him on here. Um, I think he was hit by a pitch over the weekend. No major damage. It's looking like it's going to be a short-term situation. But, of course, now you pile it on top of the shoulder, and it becomes very worrisome. This obviously improves Michael Taylor's stock. You were already a little bit cautious on Worth. What are you doing now with a wrist injury that sends him to the DL? I don't think that there's much we can do. I mean, uh, it's actually pretty worrisome that it is the wrist because that was, uh, I think that's something that's kind of been a problem. On well, he, off bro- he broke out the wrist that one time uh, making that sliding catch, and it, I think it was the left wrist, which is what this is as well for Worth. Yeah, and so I wonder if it's like, you know, leftover uh, issues in there. But, um, uh, you know, and he's really hard because it's just really hard to know you know, if he's droppable, I've, you know, he's one of those ones where the talent is there to be very useful in 12-teamers, you know, and uh, and now 12-teamer, you know, in particular, those are the guys who are asking me or asking us if we should drop him. And, Absolutely. Uh, I don't really have an answer. I mean, I know that, um, I, you know, it's lame to say it depends on your situation, but I would, I guess I can be more specific. If you have a DL slot, there's no reason to drop him. Exactly. He's still worth is still a guy very, very worthy for sorry for the cheesy pun, but very worthy of a DL spot, even in a situation where they're limited. If you've only got three or four or something like that, he's still good enough to merit one of those. And then but another if, situation would be if, if Taylor's all, available. Yeah. If they're all full, though, I mean, like, let's say you have no DL slot and they're full of, uh, you know, guys that are better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um that's possible even in a redraft. It's more possible in a in a dynasty where you could have some TJ guys. Um, you know, you know, here are some guys that I would drop before I dropped worth. Uh, the shoulder guys, Smiley. Um, that's shoulder surgery. You know, yeah, uh, that's huge. I, I would drop Smiley before I drop worth. Um, you know, because you know, one's a pitcher, one's a hitter, one's more likely to help you this year. One just had shoulder surgery, which can end a career. So. Um, I would drop, I would drop Smiley before I drop Worth. Um, Ryu, I mean, we we're going to talk about him eventually, but, um, 
you know, now he's considering shoulder surgery, but he hasn't had it yet. Uh, he's not been around very long. He's younger than Smiley, I'm guessing, without looking. Ryu, uh, I bet they're about the same age, Ryu and Smiley, yeah. because I think Ryu's 20, this will be his age 28 season, and Smiley might even be a couple ticks younger. Uh, he's a college guy, but yeah, age, age 26 season for Smiley, so they're close. Oh, wow, Smiley's younger, interesting. Um, well... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be mad at you if you, if you drop Ryu over for worth, uh, to keep worth either. So no, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't either Either way, if, uh, he's going to come, come back this year, I don't, or, 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 you know, for a big chunk of this year. So what about worth uh, but, or, or this next guy though, that's hitting the disabled list, Victor Martinez, he's had the disabled list with a, with the knee. Of course, it's been a problem. He tweaked it on Monday. So they just said, you know what? We are going to get you some some rest here. Victor Martinez to the DL. Tyler Collins up. That's that that's kind of you know uh, on the periphery there. I don't think Tyler Collins is much more than a deep uh, deep league fodder. But what about Vmart versus Worth? If let's say you're very unfortunate, you've got both, and you have that one last DL spot, and for sake of uh, you know argument, the other three or four or whatever have really good pitchers and hitters that you can't let go of. Between those two, who would you keep for the single year? Well, now we got to play doctor, right? I mean, yeah. uh, is it worse to to have an ongoing issue with the thing you fixed, or is it worse to have a new injury? I think it might Great be worse question. to have a new injury because the new injury is going to have cascading. The new injury has cascading effects. Each injury has cascading effects. I mean, that's the whole idea of you know, if you were injured last year, more likely to be injured this year. So, um, you know, if there is something going on with the wrist, even the time off, even if it makes it a little bit better, won't make it as good as say you know three months off and um it's the same for vmart's knee you know a couple weeks off isn't going to fix it necessarily uh but then you can go back to worst shoulder which you know who knows if that was even right so i'll take the one body part in you know problem over two body parts that's very sound reasoning and i also i am heartened by the fact that we've seen kind of victor struggle with the knee uh the other knee obviously but the return from the acl injury and then uh you know really get it going those that final four month period there in 2013 where he was one of the best hitters in baseball so i still feel like if he gets his knees under him we're still going to see kind of the victor that is a stud maybe not last year's who was all worldly but somebody who's still very good so i I would choose him as well um your previous analysis on worth is probably going to mean you're not too different here on this guy except he's a little bit different in that he's younger etc but we're now hearing that Will Myers' wrist injury could send him to the disabled list. It was originally thought to be something small, and now it's kind of uh, extending a little bit. And 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 now we're talking possible DL stint. Actually, they've already done it. Sorry, I wrote this earlier in the afternoon, and now it's uh, 6.30, and they have gone ahead and went ahead and put him on the disabled list retroactive to May 11th. So now Will Myers is out. You got him on the disabled list. Will Venable and Abraham Almonte are going to be the big beneficiaries there. I think Venable is somebody who could be pretty good. We've seen it before. But what do you think about Myers now going forward? Obviously much younger, but also a wrist injury. Uh, I mean – I uh, I don't know if it's <laughs> – I got called out on this. I went on the social hour with Jesse Agler while I was down in San Diego. And uh, I, I mentioned the fact that when I interviewed Myers, I, I said, you know, you've got huge hands. Uh, do you think this has anything to do with your, your wrist problems? And 
Uh, Will Myers was kind of stymied by it and was basically just said, you know, I was born this way and it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on that. And um, I said that and Jesse Agler said, I, he said something like, well, obviously you're a doctor, so uh, we can trust your opinion on that one. And, and uh, I was really surprised. I, I love Jesse. That was, it, was, it was good the way he did it. It wasn't like confrontational. It wasn't a big deal. But he's right that I'm not a doctor. And I say that all the time when we have to play doctor on this, on this show. So I, I, um, I don't know that I know if it's a thing that's going to bug him his whole career. And there's some part of me that says, this is, we, this is what we wanted him to do. He's doing exactly what we wanted him to do. If if this means that he's like available, go get him. I mean, um, do you know of a guy that like really had their career derailed at 24 by you know wrist problems? I can't think of one. Like that they were done. Yeah, I know that worse. I know that worse. Like, I think that there was other uh, risks with worse. Worth used to be a catcher, so he, I mean, he probably came up just accumulating injuries, and that's what what made him such a late bloomer. With with Myers, I'm obviously less concerned. I I think it's it's probably obvious, but just to clarify, clarify is is between these three, if you had again, if you had to choose the DL spot, it would be Myers, uh, I imagine, or am I wrong? Uh, so he fractured a forearm. But, but, uh, that might uh, be a risk. That might be the risk. Radius. Worth did? When was that? Uh, that was 2012. Yeah, yeah. And that then, was the one where he missed the half season and like he was a sliding catch and his wrist bent way back. So it yeah, might so not what have... I'm thinking of is the wrist problems he had before uh, that delayed the beginning of his career. 2005, he had a uh, wrist recovery from chat or fracture, a chip. And then 2006, oh, he missed the entire season. Uh, with exploratory scar tissue left wrist surgery. So, wow. uh, and then there's something from uh, 2003 that he went on the wrist, uh, he went on the L, uh, on the DL with wrist soreness. So, I mean, this could actually be a similar situation where, I mean, in 2003, uh, Jason Worth was uh, 24. Oh, wow. So, you know, maybe in 2003, um, you say, oh, well, is it a big deal? And then, you know, he actually misses a full year in 2006 and misses a half year in 2005. Um, and, and anybody is a deal. That's how you get that's how you get Jason Worth for free. Yep. Uh, in Major League Baseball. So I if, if he followed Jason Worth's path, then um, Will Myers. Well, this is this is an end of one. This is one guy. Sure. Uh, like you said, was playing a different position. Uh, could be relevant, could not be. I, I still like. Uh, what I see out of Myers and uh, it's tendonitis this time. It's, it could be that wrist soreness that Jason Worth had in 2003, but uh, the, the, the first, the first, the first, uh, yeah. the first sign there. I mean, like you said, it, it's a sample of one. We're not making the direct link, but it is something to think about. Maybe not just brush it off and say, Myers is going to be fine. He's 24, etc. I do still think that because of his youth and the upside that he's shown, even in this year, that, that if you did have to choose between one, it would be him to roster. It's probably pretty unique if you had all three and, and you had to choose one. So uh, it's more of a hypothetical. <laughs> Pathetical thing. We anyway, one person. <laughs> let's just say you have all four of these guys because the next guy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Corey Dickerson on the disabled list with the foot. I think that this was probably an uh, a when not if situation. The plantar fasciitis that we've talked about a couple times was was just it was going to be an issue. 
Um, you know, the only way for that to get better is with rest and, and he's not, you know, really resting that much except the game here or there. I think the two weeks right now is probably the best move. If I'm a Dickerson, uh, owner, I would, I would just prefer to try to get it out of the way and, and see if we can't get him at least healthier, if not healthy, um, uh, from this plantar fasciitis. What, what do you think about Corey Dickerson? Well, I mean, I, it's a basketball thing, right? So, like, I, you know, if it's if he was a basketball player, you might um, shave some productivity off the top. Um, but the only person I can think of, I often think of as Albert Pujols, uh, who struggled with it. But he struggled with it when he was, like, 32 or 33. Um, and, yeah, he had, a, he had a bad season, 443 plate appearances, 17 homers. You know, everything was down. Um <clears throat> and Dickerson wasn't struggling when he was in. No, not at all. So I think it's a, uh, from, you know, from what I've read sort of uh, explicitly and implicitly, I think it's a pain tolerance thing. So, and I don't think it's going to get fixed necessarily, uh, but they do have, they have, they do have things that they can use. They have, um, you know, uh, ultrasound and they have, they have ways to, that they can uh, help him relieve the pain. But I think at some point he's just going to have to decide to play through it. Uh, I don't think that surgery is a great option here. Um, and um, I think what you can say is take the under on the rest of season projected stolen bases. I don't think yeah, that's yeah, fair. A guy with planter is going to take off a ton. And and, and, and Dickerson wasn't a huge speed asset, yeah. but I think some people were hoping. Yeah, they were hoping maybe with a full season of work, you know, in the 145 game plus scenario, you could get double digits. Don't hold your breath on that. He's 0 for 1 this year, and I don't think Dickerson. I'd be surprised if he ran maybe more than two or three times the rest of the year. Uh, so don't bank on that. I still well, it doesn't, think it doesn't, like, it doesn't hurt that much to to to, to trot around the bases after Homer. So I, exactly. I think uh, I think the rest of the season projections for his power output are decent. Um, you know, maybe they haven't been necessarily. I, I, you know, he can still get to 600 plate appearances with a two-week vacation. So. Um, you know, there's, there's about 670 plate appearances in any one position on the diamond. And I don't think that they've been really platooning him much. So, no, he's been, I mean, 33 games. I imagine that they can't have much more than that. I think the lowest, the team, yeah, that's exactly how many they have 33 games. They're, they're 13 yeah, so he's, he's going to get out there. You know, he might not hit, he'll, he'll get lucky and hit some home runs against lefties. Maybe the batting average isn't quite 300 this year. Uh, the more lefties he faces, but, um, yeah, I take I take another fifteen to eighteen homers from him. Yeah, I think I think Dickerson overall, this is not a major panic situation. Uh, you alluded to this one earlier, but uh, Yunjin Ryu is mulling shoulder surgery. This is looking a lot like it's going to be a bit of a lost year, and you know. Uh, everyone loves when they can kind of invest uh, on draft day in the hurt guy who comes back and goes Cole Hamels on the league. But this is the other side of it. I, th I think, you know, too often when you're hearing people trump that strategy or trumpet that strategy, they're, they're pointing out the times that they got lucky on the Cole Hamels who came back and ended up being an ace for the rest of the year. Whereas Yunjin Ryu was so good these last two years that you feel like, well, I got to invest in him. Oh my God. Annabelle Sanchez just allowed back to back to back homers. That is so frustrating. <laughs> God. <laughs> That's a sick life, Francisco Liriano Jr. Francisco Liriano allowed seven runs in two innings, too. Anyway, um, what I was saying about uh, Ryu, obviously, hasn't pitched yet. It keeps getting worse. I'm, I'm, I'm saying at this point, if I have him, 
I would take anything as a bonus because my, now my expectations have really gone down to about zero. I don't expect him to really be doing much. I think the surgery will be the final answer for Rue. What do you think? You know, I, someone called me out on this because I had him like number 30 or something going into the season. Um, I had him high too because he's awesome when he pitches. Yeah, yeah. so I, I dinged him a little bit for the innings or whatever, but I didn't um, – I didn't ding him enough, and um, uh, my my thinking was he'd still be excellent in. But also, the, my thinking was that they were saying it wasn't a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. the, the idea at the beginning was he'll he'll, he'll miss a couple of weeks. You know, I remember them talking about him back being back in April. So I I, I I did too. Like I said, and I I had him high. I was thinking. Okay, it's not good when sort of thing happens, I don't think. It's not good when, you know, two weeks turns into two months, turns into a season. I mean, that's there's no way that it's good. So, you know, I think in redraft leagues, maybe you want to wait until you, you hear confirmation for the surgery. But I, I think he's maybe droppable if you really need to move on. I, I agree. I, it's a situation where if, if you really had to, go ahead. Uh, all right. Next up on the on the board here is uh, Jaime Garcia returning from a shoulder injury on Thursday. I believe he's making a season debut. Just wondering if you see any real upside there, or if it's just uh, kind of something where, even though he can be good when he pitches, I think we've seen it, you know, more or less throughout his career. Quality uh, component numbers, solid ratios, uh, more often than not, but always stunted by injury. Is this a situation where Jaime Garcia, if you pick him up as a short term, okay, but if you expect anything beyond, I don't know, twenty five innings, you're you're really asking to get hurt. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's the that's the caveat that I'll always be with him. I mean, the thing that I love about him is that he's just always looked really great by pitch type peripheral analysis. I mean, basically all four of his pitches rate above average by swing and strike. And you can tell because when you look through his his career, he's he's got um you know, like a 12% swinging strike, 11% swinging strike rate for his career, which is weird because he only strikes out seven per nine. Um, and I don't know what is going on there. Also, his above average, bug leave average, uh, batting average on balls of play is strange. So he's been a strange guy that I'm not sure has ever had his best season. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is that he needs to do, you know, the decision he needs to make to maybe go for a strikeout instead of a ground ball one day. Um, or if he needs to, he needs to get away from St. Louis and Dave Duncan and it's too many sinkers or I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure necessarily what, what the answer is for him, but you know, if you expect, uh, you know, like a one, two, five whip, a mid threes, uh, ERA, um, seven strikeouts per nine and, um, you know, no tomorrow. Um, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, if you got short term need, Feel free to get him. I do like Jaime Garcia. I think he's a good pitcher. Just cannot stay healthy, and I have a hard time believing that he all of a sudden will. I'd love to be wrong, but uh, the history says that it's a matter of of time with the next injury. Uh, Then the final injury to the disabled list is Ike Davis headed to the disabled list with a quad injury. I think he was playing pretty well. I didn't end up getting him anywhere, uh, but I know he was a popular, you know, late round corner infield platoon pick uh, because folks were thinking that Oakland could do some decent things with him. They have spotted him pretty nicely. You know, he's not been overwhelming, um, but uh, Ike Davis, you know, a couple homers, 787 OPS uh, against righties, 775 in total. I think he's got like 
seven or eight at bats against lefties. So bar- barely doing much against them. But mostly, most of his work's been against righties, and he's been good. But he'll hit the disabled list here. Uh, I think the beneficiaries will be uh, Max Muncy and maybe Mark Canha plays. Although I think Canha's already playing every day, so I don't know if he could really get too much more playing time. But uh, uh, oh wow, Canha's really struggling. I didn't realize how much he'd fallen off. So, uh, yeah, we'll see who really gets the playing time there. But what do you think of Ike Davis? Is he somebody you'd be trying to hang on to in any sort of league with this disabled stint? Or are you free to just, if you had him as a corner, just move on and go get somebody else and flat out cut him? Well, he showed up in my pull oppo um, piece a couple weeks ago as, you know, having, you know, furthered the work that he did in Pittsburgh, which is to go oppo more often. And um, I do think that can help him is with his on-base percentage. Might hurt him with the power, but he wasn't going to be a great power uh, asset in Oakland anyway, probably. So, you know, if you, you the league, the only league I have him was like sort of auto new points as a as a um, pl- platoon utility guy, um, where I can take advantage of his walks and his occasional homer, maybe his road homers, where nice. I kind of use him only against um, only against uh, righties. And, uh, you know, more often on the road. I think that sort of situation, he's still, especially in Ottawa, where you don't really drop people that much because your bench yeah, is you, go. You're just hard. holding your big roster. Yeah, but um, I think in, in points, OBP type leagues, uh, over 15 to 18 teams uh, with benches over sort of five man or so, um, I'm, I, I, I try to hold on for a little bit. I mean, a quad doesn't. It's not something that leaps out the page. It's something I have to yeah. get worried about. It's not. It's not a major concern with him. And I uh, think in the meantime, I think you're right. I mean, the Kanha, he was really supposed to come in and only play against righties. You know, he was supposed to be the Nate Fryman who didn't play much. And he, against against another, lefties, you mean? Uh, against those, lefties. Sorry. Those two are righties. Yeah. He's really, he's really just another Nate Fryman in that it's an asset they're collecting. You know, they by keeping you know the guy who plays against righties and plays first base and only plays against righties doesn't play a lot, and he's your sort of pinch hitter against righties, and he plays you know every once in a while. And um, by keeping that guy uh, as a five as a rule five guy, you kind of get another lottery ticket. So maybe Fryman figures it out this year, and Conhaw really doesn't, and then maybe they you know send him back to the Brewers and. And Fryman comes up, but if they can keep on to him all year, then next year they still have these two lottery tickets and Fryman and and um, and uh, and and Kanha. So I think Kanha is going to return to or or continue just to play against lefties. Muncy is the, the lefty himself, so he'll come in and step in the Ike Davis role, do a lot of the same with a ton of walks, iffy power. Um, that has you know he's at least he's hit a home run now, but it was like uh, one of those ones that like hit the top rail. Um, so I think adjust barely. Okay. Uh, but he hits a lot of fly balls and, uh, he's had some good power years in the minors. He um, looks like an Oakland A like Max Muncy. I'm looking at his <laughs> picture. Like that's, you're so Oakland A's dude. Like you're, <laughs> obviously the walks help too. the fact that, uh, um, uh, first baseman. So, you know, no, can't play defense. I mean, he, he fits on the team. I mean, maybe he can't play defense, but when you're primary first base, it usually means you're not great defensively. So, um, but I agree with you. Max Muncy is basically going to be like Davis. Uh, 
you know, maybe maybe to a little bit higher degree, maybe to a little bit lesser degree, but probably just right in the middle there. So if you had Ike Davis, you could probably go get Max Muncie. Let's talk about some guys who are um, recent performances, including last night's debut from Lance McCullers Jr. I don't know if you got a chance to check it out. I actually didn't because uh, Houston games are blacked out for me here, and we can't get them on TV, so they really shouldn't <laughs> be blacked out. Uh, another cool blackout situation. No, you have to have, I think, like – one provider, I think it's Comcast, is the only one that has the uh, root sports thing for, for Houston here in Austin. So I, I don't know. And I, I would watch Houston games, I, even even last year when they weren't that good. But especially now that they're intriguing, they have like young players, and there's, there's I, I would love. <laughs> I'd love to be watching them, but of course I can't. So I didn't get a chance to check it out. He didn't make it five innings, but he had a nice three-pitch mix. He was working 94-96 with the heater. I was impressed that he had three pitches because what I heard is, you know, he's fastball, curveball, both plus, but reliever type. That's what I keep hearing. So I haven't seen him, uh, so I don't know if he's got that reliever look to him as well. I, I've heard McCullers is just a power arm who might not make it as a starter. Um, what do you know to – that either backs that or goes against it. And were you able to see any of yesterday's highlights? I, I wasn't able to, um, uh, where was I? I don't know. I was You're on a train and a plane and automobile. Uh, <clears throat> but looking back on it, I would say that, um, you know, it's very, it's obvious why it's exciting. Although some of this is a little bit of a velocity boost. Um, you, you know, he, he did get always a, work. What's that? I'll say he doesn't always work 94, 96. Is this? Yeah, there was, yeah. I mean, maybe this year he has been, but you know, um, but I mean, anyway, his velocity has been good. Uh, even when maybe, even if this is up one or two and it, maybe he was a little bit goosed up for his debut, but, um, and the curve is good. is great. And, you know, just from looking at the movement, I would say that the, uh, the changeup is good too. I mean, it has uh, a lot of fade and a lot of drop. The problem is commanding it. And, okay, that's where the reliever stuff probably comes in then. Right, and you know, even yesterday, the change had was had. Um, I mean, he threw eleven of them, and eight of them were balls. Oh, that's not as impressive. So, like, uh, so I mean, yeah, he got a whiff, but uh, you know, you got to be at least close to the to the zone to to get some whiffs and. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it when I when I wrote about the Matt Latos weird pitch. I mean, he has no idea where Love it's going. Piece, by the way, you know, he throws this thing called the critter, which is basically a knuckle change. He has no idea where it's going. It's not going to save his career. Um, and so, you know, on that same level, I'm a little bit still worried about McCullers' uh, changeup. But if you look at just the stuff, it's you know, 95 is great uh, with decent movement on the four seam. Um, you know, 89 with the changeup with a lot of movement. It's not a good velocity gap, but a lot of movement on the change. And then, a, and then a really good curve that you know he can command a little better. There's a reason to be really interested in them. There's a reason actually, I think, to roster him in, in mixed leagues because, you know, if he can, you know, figure out the command, they're going to give him the chance. And if you can, you know, use him against a free swinging team or just leave him on your bench for a yeah. couple starts. You know, that's what I like to do with some of these guys is, you know, pick them up and put them on my bench and not start them until we get a little more data. We see a little bit more what's going on. Um, then you then then it becomes a waiver wire pickup three weeks from now when everyone's like, oh, we got to get Lance McCullers. <laughs> exactly. Say, no, I, 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 I tried. 
I tried that exact thing with him. I tried to. I only got him in one of the leagues, but I tried to get him in a couple with that with that in mind, thinking you know McCullers. There's enough to be special there because when you got two plus pitches, it, it's just not that big of a jump to all of a sudden turn into at least a hot run, even if it does. If even if it didn't last all year, so I knew he had the fastball yeah, changeup or excuse me, fastball curve. Just a matter of the change in the command. Yeah, look at Archie Bradley. It seems that at the worst, uh, for the Astros' standpoint with McCullers, they have at least a closer here. Now, I don't know if that would come into play this year at all because, first off, their bullpen's been excellent. Um, you know, just the guys leading up to, but also Luke Gregerson himself. And I just don't know that that McCullers would, you know, they would start him a few times and be like, ah, oh, you're not necessarily ready to start, so let's make you the closer. I, I don't, I just don't see that happening. If he doesn't hack it as a starter, they're going to send him back to triple a cause I, he skipped triple a and then he'll probably keep refining it there. I think the closer thing, if it were in play for McCullers, wouldn't it be for a couple of years, but uh, long-term, I think they've at least got a positive asset. Let's hit the other end of the spectrum here. Uh, that obviously guy making his debut to a guy who is a, a well-established star. And that's Cole Hamels. It's been weird, you know, because he's either been excellent or awful. There's really been no in between. He's got starts of six, five, and four earned runs with a ton of homers, and then his other six starts are zero, one, 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 and two. So, uh, you know, like I said, awful or excellent. What's your read on him on Hamels right now? He he survived Coors, um, and obviously I don't think anyone was dropping him or anything like that. But there was some panic creeping in with the home runs and the walks uh, early in the year. Two things that we weren't used to seeing from Cole Hamels. What's your read? I don't. I mean, I, I there's a little bit of weirdness um, going on where he's actually throwing the changeup uh, more than his four seam. Which uh, only started happening, you know, last year, you know, with any sort of regularity. And he's done it a couple times this year, and he did it a lot, you know, late in the season last year. And that's kind of something you might expect from a late career guy. Um, what I've noticed is one thing that's happened with Hamels this year that's a little bit weird is that he's using the, he's used the changeup more than the four seam uh, or, or just about as equal uh, a few times this year, and that's something that never happened before 2014. Late 2014, he started doing that, but it is something that I, I've seen from older pitchers, which is that early when you get when you get up, all you want to do is win, and all you all that you think about is I'm going to use my my best pitches, you know, and just make them beat me on my best pitches. So that's Archie Bradley coming up, and even though they've been telling him use your changeup, use your changeup, he's just going to go out there and throw the fastball um, and the knuckle curve until you know, until he gets beat. Oh, yeah, he's just trying to survive. Uh, right, and, that he'll, and he'll start mixing in the, the change-up if, if it means something. And so what I think you – I don't know if I can find a way to define this, but if you look at pitch-type percentages, I know that for a fact I've, see, I've, I've shown a, a, a weak correlation with fastball percentage and age. It's not, a, not very strong, but there is – it does – like age describes like maybe 15% of the variance in your fastball usage, so – you know, it does, it does, like the older you do, you do throw fewer fastballs. But in general, what I would say is that all of your pitch type percentages start converging to the point where any pitch you've got, you got to be willing to throw it at any moment. So that every, like all your pitches, if you have five pitches, they're all 20%. And if you have, you know, four, they're all 25. So that you basically see a convergence over time. So if you like, you know, put up any, 
any pitcher and put up their their percentage pitch usage chart on on Brooks, I think the easiest thing to see is like this convergence where they all sort of come to one. So I think that's happening with Hamels. I don't know what that means necessarily, other than maybe um, you know if you're really using the changeup you know more than your your fastball, then perhaps um, some players are just deciding to sit changeup and. You know, he, you know, he's given up a few more home runs than you might expect. And that might be from that or, or you know, well, maybe change it up again. I don't really see anything other than that to worry about. No, I, I don't see any real worry signs with Hamels either. And in fact, those homers were really confined to early. He's given up eight on the season. Seven came in the first three games, including four on that opening day against Boston. He's just allowed one in these last six outings. That's why they've been so good. Even though one of those outings was ugly, uh, the, the, the six earned run outing that I mentioned against uh, Miami, even including that, he still has a 245 ERA in his last six, which tells you how good Hamels has been. He decimated the, the Rockies in Coors. That's huge. Um, so hopefully he didn't sit him there. I, I know a lot of people don't like to use anybody in Coors. For me, it's really more of uh, fringe guys. I'll still use my studs there. And it's because you, you can see things like this where um, a, a stud like Hamels goes in there and dominates. Let's talk about somebody else who we've spoken a lot about, but we haven't talked about him in a little while. And it's time to bring back up Anthony Desclafani because I think the natives are getting a little bit restless. Uh, for the first few starts, uh, well, well, let's rewind to the beginning. First three starts, he was excellent. Everything looked great. He was killing it. Fourth start, he got away with some unearned run stuff. It, it, it was some bad defense, but it was also he wasn't as sharp as he'd been. Then May came, and Duskalfani has just been a little bit wild. It's been four, or excuse me, three plus walks in all four of his starts. And uh, he isn't he isn't getting deep anymore. He went six, seven, and eight innings in his first three games, and now he's basically going five and dive. I'm curious if you think there's anything wrong with Descalfani or just a little bit of evening out from his early hot start. Um, well, I mean, I I still see everything that I wanted that I that I like to see that everything that made me uh, name him a sleeper. Uh, the changeup still has good movement. Um, he has a 9.4% swing strike rate, despite the the, the mediocre uh, strikeout rate. So you know he's still he's still getting people to whiff, um, and uh, and you know there's still that that nice mix uh, with good velocity and a history of good command. So you know you're right to point out that the command is falling apart. It, this would be like double his worst walk rate ever. So. Um, you know, it, it's, it is concerning, um, and it's kind of been gradual where, you know, his walk to stri- his strikeout to walk ratio for the first four starts was, you know, like, uh, let me do the quick math, uh, 21 to, uh, six. Oh, wow. And then since, uh, since it's been, uh, 13, uh, and this is the wrong direction, 13 to, or it's been even, it's been one to one basically. So Actually, it's been worse. It's been 13 to 15. So he's had more walks than strikeouts. That is a problem. You know, and I think it's related to this change in his pitching mix, which is he's, you know, he did start throwing the, the change up more like I, like I thought he would, um, like he would need to, to really to get through uh, innings and stuff. Um, and the change actually uh, is, is okay, like in terms of walk rate. Uh, if you do look at the ball rate on the change, it's the same. It's a little bit worse than his other two pitches, his main pitches, but it's it's still pretty good. If you look at the uh, percentage uh, uh, balls on his curve, which 
He's not using a ton of, but he is using it this year. It's mm-hmm. terrible. So he gets balls twice as often on the curveball than he does on his change. So um, you, you, I wonder if that's kind of driving some of this walk rate situation. Then if he, maybe is he turned up the curve usage in May, and then that's kind of leading to some of these troubles for Descalfani. Maybe I'm just I'm just theorizing. Yes, I think that is it. And and yeah, he and it didn't solve everything. He did kind of dump the curve the last couple times out, and he still had bad outings. But it didn't it didn't solve anything. But I think that does point us in the right direction. It says, oh, you know what? Um, you know he is having trouble commanding the full arsenal, this new arsenal that he's got. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, leading to maybe some of these issues. Okay. I, I'm going to go back to the swing strike rate is good. The changeup is good. The velocity is still there. The slider is, is remaining, is like remaining good. So uh, all the pieces are still there. He showed us this great promise, you know, overall in the year, he's still a, a compelling player with compelling stats. Um, and, uh, I don't, you know, the home run per nine issue, uh, softened, you know, and, and hasn't been, it hasn't been like really a home run problem. No. And if, and if you look back at his career, you're talking about lots of, you know, one per nine walk rates. So I, I think, um, he's going to, he's going to rein it back in, even if it means it's just a couple fewer changeups and not as many curves, you know, uh, it, it will mean fewer walks. Yeah. I think, I think that's funny is somebody that, um, it- you should still be trying to hang on to. I think there is still more there. You know, don't overreact to April and then don't overreact to May. They're, they're you know, they're two different things. I think if if it had been reversed, obviously, if he'd started off this way, everyone would have cut him, and then they'd be jumping back on board right now. Uh, if he if he'd done his April here in in May, um, so I think it's still pretty short time to really make a, a sweeping judgment on him on, on Descalfani that that might have changed over the uh, over the eight starts. If you were buying in in April, I don't know that you should be cashing out right now because there aren't a lot of sweeping changes that are like whoa look out so we're gonna we're gonna stay the course on Descalfani we'll check back in on him after another handful of starts uh, I want to talk about one other guy here uh, before we move on to some transactions it's, it's Yosmani Tomas this was a guy we saw in spring training we were very unimpressed with which kind of met uh, you know the, the the consensus there it's just it was not a situation where it was looking like this guy was going to come in and hit where was he going to play defensively well, now that we're 25 games in, he's off to um, okay. He's 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 been hitting all right. Um, I wouldn't say it's overwhelming because yeah, I like the 3.29 average, but it's a 4.11 slug. So he's singling folks to death with a 3.90 BABIP. So, you know, I got to give him a little bit of credit, but I'm not going to say Yosmani Tomas has made anybody look silly who was against him. Uh, the two stolen bases are nice, but. Yeah, and the fact that he isn't striking out every time up, you know, 17% strikeout rate, I like that from from uh, Yasmani Tomas. But are you seeing anything different? Are you still kind of in the position of he's whatever, don't get your hopes up? I mean, I, I am surprised by the strikeout rate. And even the swing strike rate, I thought <clears throat> I thought somebody as undisciplined looking as he would would have like a 12, 14, 15% swing strike rate, would Agreed. have a 25, 25% strikeout rate. I don't think I believe necessarily in the 17% strikeout rate that he's got right now, but I, I do believe that he could maybe strike out around 20%, which is league average, which means, you know, he could have a better batting average than I thought, which is weird, though, because if you look at his swing component stuff, they aren't great. He reaches a ton. He swings more than average. It's just that he's, that... he's getting lucky. I think so. He he is also, I mean, 
because he's swinging more than average, he is swinging more than average in zone too. But I think the biggest difference between um, league league and normal is, uh, for example, he has a 38% reach rate. League average is 30. He has a 75% zone swing rate. League average is 66. So the disparity is more on the O swing. Exactly. So he's basically, he's reaching a lot. He is this undisciplined hitter that we thought. And he's just making more contact than we thought. And hey, there are Vladimir Guerrero types, right? Definitely. Undisciplined guys that, that make contact. But usually I don't think they have like an 11% swing strike rate. It's still worse than league average. So it's, I think it's a confounding package. Uh, the two stolen bases are weird. Uh, I mean, the guy looks... You know, the guy looks uh, like out of shape pretty much. <laughs> Not like a base stealer is what you're trying to get at. Yeah, so there's a lot of weird things going on here. 390 Babbitt, even though he is not an oppo guy. Um, you know, I guess he hasn't hit a lot of infield fly balls, but he doesn't have a lot of balls in play. So you really want 190 balls in play uh, when it comes to infield fly balls. And he has like 60. Okay. So, so yeah, uh, the... the we're always careful to not just call somebody with with a good bad you know lucky or anything like that let's let's investigate it see what's there i think even after second and and third look diving deeper into yasmani tomas we can confidently say that the 390 BABIP is pretty luck inflated, um, especially with that ground ball rate. Nothing to really get too geeked on and if anybody has changed their opinion and you're looking to sell out i, I would jump out quickly and i would take you know, almost whatever I could get um, if this 329 average would buy me anything from uh, Tomas. I think so. All right, let's talk about uh, so a little bit of player movement here. Nothing major, but there was a trade, and it's, you know, f for a May 19th trade, it's kind of major. You don't usually see guys who uh, will, you know, probably get major playing time traded on, on September or excuse me on May 19th but Wellington Castillo was finally dealt out I don't know what took him so long in Chicago they're running with the three catchers there he was finally dealt out to Seattle for Yoa versus Medina uh, this is trouble for Zunino and it's because Zunino is terrible hilariously or maybe not so much um, Zunino is actually going against his type here he's not hitting fastballs that's what's been bothering him this year he's crushing sliders um, you know, wrinkle anything with a wrinkle is what used, used to give him trouble. But he's actually blasting sliders and he's not hitting any fastballs. But either way, they need some day, days off for him. And Jesus Sucre is not cutting it. And at the risk of uh, Sal Perezing Zunino, the Mariners realized they needed to do something. So Castillo's going to come in. Obviously, he's going to be a steady backup. Honestly, I could see it being more of a 60-40 thing, though, unless Zunino starts hitting more. Uh, what do you think about this trade with Wellington Castillo? You know, I just don't know if it's going to uh, – <clears throat> I don't know if the power is going to hold once he leaves Wrigley. I mean, you know, he could go there. If the power disappears, then he's a guy with no patience, not great contact skills, better than Zunino, I guess, and um, and no power. So that would make him uh, – and, and not great defensively. So that would make him – um, pretty unexciting in in both real and fantasy baseball. But if the power holds, you know he could be he could be a guy, a guy with a capital G. But sure. uh, I don't know about beyond that. So yeah, we'll sit tight. Now the only reason that I'm another not the only reason, but another reason I'm I'm interested in bringing this up, even though Castillo hasn't been playing very well, is the fact that catcher's been so decimated that any catcher that's that's in line for regular playing time, even though Jan Gomes is on his way back, Matt, uh, not Matt Lucroy, 
Jonathan Lucroy uh, is a couple weeks off. So even though we're getting two of the studs back, it's still a position that's been ravaged. So Castillo getting playing time is going to have some value, even if it's AL only or deep mixer with two catchers. It's true that that he like I said, he's a guy, and there's a lot of leagues where guys matter. So um, I think that that could that could work out for him. Um, and it's an has just been so awful that there is a chance that he he pushes it beyond that. Uh, all right, let's also talk about Mr. Kenny's Vargas getting sent down. Again, this was probably not a huge surprise to anybody that has him on their team or has been paying attention. It just hasn't been working out for uh, Kenny's Vargas. He was pretty good last year. I think there were some pretty high expectations for him this year. This is a guy who did skip AAA, but he was old for AA, so it's not as big of a deal. I don't, I don't think that you can just put that on him and say, well, he did skip AAA, uh, give him a break. Sure, we can give him a break because he's 24-year-old. Any 24-year-old, we shouldn't make sweeping judgments and say he can't hit or anything like that. But I think that some of the expectations on him were reasonable, uh, and he's failed to live up to them. So they need to get him some, you know, a mental break or whatever they're calling it. He's headed down there to AAA for the Twins, who are playing really well, too. That's another reason. If they've been playing poorly, I think they let him stick it out here. But the fact that they've been playing so well means they they got to get guys up there that can do something. What do you? What was your outlook on Kenny Vargas coming into the year, and, and how does this alter your your long term outlook, if at all? Well, I just figured they would, uh, you know, look past the, on, his on base percentage because it would never be great, and that they'd be such a power star team that they really had painted themselves into a corner and didn't really have any other options, and uh, you know that, that he would play all year, you know, no matter how iffy the things look. So I I'm a little surprised by this just because. You know, he's still hit a couple homers, and, you know, he's – what are they really going to do that's better than him? So, um, I, I didn't expect necessarily a, a breakout. I just expected, you know, like playing Capable. time. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that, that, that's the thing, too. I thought he would play enough um, to, to give you some value there, and maybe you get lucky with a breakout. But it wasn't somebody that I was necessarily chasing down. Yeah, I mean, he was my uh, utility bat in labor, and so you know that last place team is just uh, is just really falling apart. Even though I was so excited about it, um, that that's the way it always goes, though. It hurt. <laughs> I mean, it really feels like it goes that way. Whenever I come out of a draft and I feel great, it doesn't perform. And then when I'm like, oh, I I, I botched this. This did not go well. I swear it ends up performing. So it's so weird. It's probably not universal. In fact, it's not. I know that. It's not universal, but uh, it's so frustrating when it happens because I know you were super psyched about that club. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just it, it, the the flaws caught up to him. I mean, he can't play defense, so he's not going to add any value there. Exactly. He's not adding, it's kind of like the Castillo situation. Well, here's the thing. Um, that I was just talking about where, you know, the power didn't come, so then nothing else went. Yeah. No, no, you're right. The power didn't come, and so it all everything else goes goes away. Now they got Joe Maurer, who's obviously going to play first base. Um, and, and DH was the big thing for Vargas, so we're not even going to really see who's going to get that spot right now because they're in Pittsburgh. But Oswaldo Arcia is nearing a rehab assignment, so they are getting what should be a big power bat back uh, when he returns. And then I think everything will be kind of status quo. I don't know who will necessarily DH. It could be Arcia himself, but they can give Torrey Hunter some breaks that way, things like that. And like I said, this team playing surprisingly well, too. All right, Dino, let's wrap up with some uh, bullpen talk here. 
And Texas has, I think, I think they've officially said Feliz no more, and we're going to go with the matchups, which is what every team says when they first shift to, you know, when they first pull a guy out, they say, okay, we're going to go with matchups, et cetera. But um, who, uh, who, I think that's what Arizona said too. Who are you handicapping as the as the top guy here in Texas? It's got to be Tolson, and you know, he's got a nice three pitch mix. He's got enough velocity. Uh, he's got the strikeout rates, um, and you know, the projections even are, are decent for him. And, and uh, Felice was, was not that exciting. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think Tolson um, is, uh, you know, an everywhere own. And uh, I don't necessarily think that Felice is coming back to the role. I, I was hoping, again, you know, what I need to do in these deep leagues is is get quality as well as not just, like, stat fillers. <laughs> um, I, I was hoping that they would just hold on to him all year. I mean, I think bullpen are such a, a shot in the dark anyway but um they really are uh it was nice to see the police got his loss back up to 94 um and i and that's something you can maybe hold on to um because that's more than tolson um and if he can if he can turn that you know more swing strikes into more strikeouts and uh and command the ball a little bit better maybe we'll see police back in tolson's like 27 28 and is not like you know a guy coming up throwing 99 uh, taking Feliz's job, so I, I would say that both of the bullpen situations that have, that have come to light this year may not um, they may not add value. Like I think Felice and the guy we're about to talk uh, about may in fact get back into the role. All right. Well, that that other guy. Uh, well, the other the other situation we're going to talk about is that Arizona one that uh, Jason and I spoke a little bit about on Sunday, and they too said we're going to go with matchups. Well, their first save situation came to pass, and Enrique Burgos was the one who took the uh, who took the save. Though it was an extra inning game, so that might not be a perfectly accurate read. He was a guy I, – I don't even think I made mention of him on Sunday, so I missed the boat on, on him just because I, I'm so not interested in this bullpen, and I really thought <laughs> that they were going to give it to Ziegler. Uh, so uh, apologies there for me not doing my due diligence regarding mm-hmm. the Arizona bullpen. But how do you see that situation playing out? Jason and I already spoke about it, but are you seeing a situation where Reed gets it back if he gets on track with a, with, with a handful of sixth inning – sixth, seventh inning work? I mean, it's just it's just about how comfortable um, the current ownership is with with allowing so many balls in play because, you know, um, Ziegler does have an otherworldly ground ball rate, but you know, um, you know, it's a lot of balls in play, and if you know, if if there are guys on base, then you can find a way to dink and dunk your way into into uh, a blown save, and I think that's why over his career, Ziegler has been a fill-in closer a lot. And he's, he's managed, you know, 10 here, five there, seven there, but he hasn't never really had a, he's never had a full season where they've just no. given him the ball and let him run with it. So I think that's, uh, you know, when, when, when we've done our research, strikeouts and velocity are, are the two things that, that, that I've seen that mean anything. And he has neither of those things. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's one thing. Then Burgos, Burgos, uh, yeah, it might've just been an extraining thing. He also um, has the velocity and the strikeouts, but is super wild. Yeah, no clue where it's going. But like you said, the two other pieces, and if you, if you can straighten out the, uh, the the command, they might have something there. Right, and but then there's you know, you know Addison Reed. It's kind uh, of the same situation. I mean, not not overwhelming velocity, but he he's shown the strikeouts in the past. I I almost feel like he's similar. Where yeah, if you iron out the command, of course. Yeah, and I don't I don't know where the swing strike rate has gone, and they're saying it's mechanical, 
and you know a guy with his walk rate you know who over the course of his career at least has had really great command and that's been part of how he's made a fastball and a slider work has been really good command. I mean, if you can always back foot the slider to the lefty, then you then you might not actually have crazy platoon splits on the slider because, you know, it's not that easy to hit a ball that you think is going to hit your back foot. So exactly. um, it's just a question of can you always hit that back foot. So if it is a mechanical thing, you know, and Reed starts coming back when he's striking out more than a batter per inning, which is something he's done for his career, and, and walking uh, one every three appearances or less, then I think he could actually start to look like the best guy again. And, you know, for what it's worth, I think Tolleson is the best, you know, is the easiest full season solution out of the out of the two bullpens. Okay. Well, there, there we go on, on those two. Those are two of the worst, but saves are saves. And so uh, sometimes get attacking the stinky bullpens is where you can really get some value there. So Tolleson, um, and then you're saying hang on to – just hang on to Reed in that situation – I, I I think so. I mean, in redraft leagues, these guys are fungible. So sure. uh, it's not like the Diamondbacks, I think, are going to give anybody, um, you know, more than 30 saves this year. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, no, that, 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 makes, that makes total sense re- regarding the, the quantity that you can expect. And obviously, we're a month and a half through, so you have to taper that down a- as well. You know, I think you can really churn and burn any of these guys, drop them in redraft leagues and just go like 12 team redraft leagues. The, the, the final closer spot, the fourth or third closer spot that you've got can be anybody at any time. And you can just move, move, move because there's so much movement. You can just always have somebody in there. So there's no reason to keep Reed in the 12 team redraft. But you know, in dynasty leagues, it's really hard to buy closers, especially deep dynasty leagues where there's a lot of bench, which is a lot of the, the types of leagues I play in, because um, it's really hard to buy closers because people stack their benches with Caminero types. And, yep. you know, all the future closers are already owned. So, you know, this idea um, that, uh, that the saves are easy to get in dynasty leagues is actually they're pretty hard to get. In almost any league, uh, not even just because I, I always hear that too. It's so easy. Not even in redraft, I, I have a tough time sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, because people will put I in. Have a great open for Reed in my dynasty, in my twenty-team dynasty, because if I can use, if I can buy him at sort of not really closer prices and give like a sort of fringy prospect arm for him, and then he turns back into a closer, then I'll have won. So, uh, and and I can't. And, you know, when I when I start knocking on the door for real closers that are in the job right now, um, you know, everybody always wants the moon. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I'm not really willing to do that. Cl- closers are, are, are a pain in the butt. They will remain so. That's why even ugly saves have value. So, you know, scout scout these bad situations. Anyway, you know, the, the, the dinner bell is ringing here at the Spore Residence. I got to get going and get some food in my sure. stomach. But uh, I, I assume, yeah, it's got to be coming up over there too, uh, out on the West Coast. But we will talk in two days. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful night. Uh, take care. All right, thanks. Thanks.